Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Welcome to Communication Mixdown, where we look behind the media message and ask what's really being said to us and why. I'm Jennifer Martin. So what happens when you aren't from around here and you find you and your community shoehorned into bite-sized media messages fit for mass consumption? In 2009, the Australian Human Rights Commission released a report saying that the media's coverage of African Australians was often negative, critical and sometimes downright misleading. As today's guests are going to discuss with us, this has been the experience for some members of Australia's Sudanese community who, through an innovative research project, took steps to make sure that their many voices are heard. So joining us on the phone now is Dr. David Nolan. He is a senior lecturer in media and communications from the University of Melbourne. Dr. Nolan was part of the OSUD Media Project, which worked with members of the Sudanese community to find a practical way to try and address their concerns with how they were portrayed by the media. Dr. Nolan, welcome to Communication Mixdown. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. It's, um, it's our pleasure. Now, can you tell us a bit about how this OSUD project began? Sure. So, uh, so yeah, so the, so the beginning of the project uh, was uh, back in 2008, I think, um, and the, the, um, it, the, the, the project was run through the Centre for Advancing, Advancing Journalism. I think it was the Centre for Advanced Journalism at the time, but the Centre for Advancing Journalism at Melbourne Uni. And the director at the time was, uh, was Michael Gawenda, who uh, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, will have heard of, who's a celebrated journalist and uh, a former editor of The Age and became the inaugural director of the Centre at Melbourne. Um, and he was looking at... Uh, at and talking to um, international um, colleagues about a project that that had taken place in California, Southern California, um, that was basically about providing media training and resources to um, newly arrived migrant communities there. Um, And Michael had this basic idea that... um, you know, the same thing might be valuable here. Now, at around about that time, there was also uh, an Australian Human Rights Commission report, which I think you just mentioned, that, that that was talking about, you know, some of the disadvantages faced by the Sudanese community and African Australians um, in Australia. And it had this particular particular focus on kind of key areas like employment and training, education, health and justice. Um and when we sort of looked at that report and they were kind of calling for research, we were like, okay, yep, that's, 
that, that those are those are all kind of key areas, but there really isn't a focus in that research agenda on communications. And one of the kind of under underlying kind of informing principles for our research was that actually, if we think about those areas, then the experience of communication actually feeds into all of them because media, as we know, create perceptions, create worldviews, um, and ultimately influence how people uh, are treated by others and how people ultimately kind of feel themselves. So, uh, so that was the that was the beginning. That's that's so interesting, and and thanks for taking us back to how it all got started with with Michael Gawenda and what you were saying there about the media, how they they create the perceptions. They also do something else too, isn't it? It's that um, conduit for those voices to be expressed. And you, how on earth did you go about finding the best way for those involved in this project to express themselves? Well. At the, at the beginning, we basically so so the the project had kind of different elements. We we were analysing media representation of Sudanese people in Australia, uh, both kind of through quantitative analysis of you know content, media content, and qualitative analysis, looking at the forms of expression and kind of mediated debates going on uh, surrounding Sudanese people. Um, and we then also kind of were thinking about how they affected people's everyday lives. But we also wanted to develop a project that, that might be able to give people some sort of training um, and a basis where they could perhaps talk back and make their own voice heard in Australian media space. Um, so to do that, we basically kind of sought to reach out to Sudanese people and we uh, we had, uh, you know, we were fortunate to have help from people that already had strong contacts with uh, with the Sudanese community um, via Grace McCoulton at the Social Studio. I think it was Don Ed, the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, and uh, and yeah, um, and a couple of other organisations. Um, and so we started basically kind of, you know, reaching out and say, seeing if people were interested in mm. you know in having the opportunity to to learn these skills and people were people really responded that's um, really interesting david because it's so important that you you know you did draw on those deep community connections isn't it otherwise it's just another case of um you know sort of the dominant um dominant power saying oh well this is this is what you need and it wouldn't have worked would it yeah, look, I, I I suspect not. Um, and yeah, it was look, it, it was very much what we what we started off doing was having having what we called then kind of roundtable discussions, which was basically we're inviting people to come in and talk about you know talk about their experiences surrounding media and and how they felt about this space and basically kind of what they might want mm. um, and it was it was from those conversations that we then kind of went on and 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 started to started to uh, devise a program um, and what was kind of also interesting about those kind of initial conversations was that via Michael and the the sort of networks that Michael had which are way better than the networks that I might have brought to this project um, we were able to also bring in people from um, from mainstream media themselves, and uh, and I should say that this this research project ultimately, you know, from that kind of initial sort of pilot phase, then developed into a 
Australian Research Council linkage project, which mm. basically means it was working with industry. Um, and particularly, we had two partners. One was the Australian Broadcasting and the other was uh, AIMS, the Australian Multicultural uh, Education Service, which is a kind of migrant service mm. for, for new arrivals, um, both of which were, were really great partners to have. But um, but at those initial roundtables, yeah, so what we were what we were actually sort of initially sort of having was kind of conversations with people about how they felt about media treatment um, and what perhaps they might want from the project. And, and what, what and did you find out, David? What what did they feel and, and what did they want? Well, I think I think they wanted they wanted a space to to talk back about about their experience, uh, about how they felt about the media, um, about how they felt about their experience in Australian society. Um, those were those were the sort of overwhelming messages we got initially, um, and and yeah, a lot of kind of I mean the the, the kind of history. The history prior to uh, prior to the project was was one. I mean, we know that you know that that there was a large African uh, migrant intake in Australia in the early two thousands, um, and in the case of Sudanese people, this was this was in the wake of the the civil war in Sudan. Mm. Um, but you know, if that kind of positions the kind of the the kind of migrant uh, the migrant arrivals from from Africa and the Sudan. Um, what was kind of going on in Australia at the same time was was you know a real sort of what uh, a real shift I think away from uh, a politics around kind of the idea of Australia as being a, a, a nation state with a multicultural identity yes. and what we saw as the kind of repeating targeting of minorities being presented as threats, as threatening national identity, as threatening national security, which we saw in relation to um, to Asians, to uh, to refugees, um, and Going right back and to this, the Greeks, uh, I remember as a yeah, as yeah, a kid. yeah, and and this clearly became a, an electoral strategy that that uh, politicians were using, and this was kind mm. of you know something that had become you know a bit of a modus operandi in the in the Howard years, um, and it was prior to the sort of two thousand and seven election that the then immigration minister made public comments about Sudanese people in the wake of a uh, a young man getting bashed um, who who died from this assault at a train station in Noble Port. Noble Park, yes. and the immigration minister, um, not knowing actually the basis of the of the assault or who had committed it, um, effectively went with what was kind of what was uh, being discussed as this as a product of kind of Sudanese gang warfare, um, and said that this was kind of this this was indica- indicative of the fact that Sudanese people were unable to integrate into the Australian way of life, and that thereby it made sense to slow down the rate of immigration. Now, it turned out that that incident um, wasn't, uh, wasn't between Sudanese people at all. It was actually sort of the assailants were, were white Australians. Um, but the, the, kind of, the, kind of, the, the kind of broader issue was that the, that, that incident was something that, um, that really people felt very, uh, very uh, upset 
step by, um, that they talked about, you know, I mean, we had people in, in uh, talking about a sense of shame, um, a sense that they, that they, that they were basically being told that they didn't belong. Um, and the way in which they felt that they were experiencing everyday discrimination, they were connecting directly to that experience of being publicly discussed, um, both by politicians and in media discourse as effectively a dangerous other um, who's, who's, who were bringing with them kind of, you know, violent ways that were antithetical to the Australian way of life. And that phrase itself kind of does mark a, mark a, a sort of shift away from, you know, a previous kind of model of multiculturalism where mm. effectively, you know, national culture is what various culture, cultures bring to the question of who we are to the idea that, you know, basically an Australian way of life pre-exists yes. people's arrival and that <laughs> they effectively have to have to integrate within um, an already existing culture. Um, so effectively, I mean, this is what some researchers have talked about as a kind of in, uh, integrationism being a kind of neo-assimilation, neo-assimilationist basis of, uh, of thinking about... Um, thinking about national identity and immigration. Look, um, David, this is just so fascinating and, and thank you for that wonderful context taking us right back. You've really shown us, you know, just how yeah, that notion of multiculturalism, how it shifted, how it was hijacked by um, sort of, you know, community sentiment and fear was hijacked by by politicians to steer the the national narrative in a direction. Now, we will have to, unfortunately, you know I could talk to you for another hour or so about this but um you've given us that beautiful big picture could you just tell us from your personal experience of dealing with the Sudanese people in the room and getting the the wonderful gazelle online publication up um online what was their reaction um on that sort of personal level to being portrayed like that well like i said there was a there was a there was a sense of feeling victimized Feeling ashamed, and people people would talk about you know the the sort of you know that the, there's a that there's that there's something kind of you know people were making comments effectively that you know it made them kind of feel feel you know that they couldn't they didn't have the right to to speak in the Australian context because you know as soon as they spoke up that they would be placed in a particular sort of box. Yes. Um, and this is something that researchers kind of previously found internationally. And, and you know, what, what I was saying previously about, you know, the degree to which disadvantage in other areas of life relates to, you know, relates to um, the way in which media treatment impacts upon people personally in terms of their self-perception, in terms of how they see themselves as being viewed, but also, also upon their treatment, um, you know, so... There was, you know, there was a sense that, you know, that this was this was resulting in, you know, discrimination in employment settings. That this was uh, this was supporting, you know, police targeting mm. and racial profiling, which uh, which turned out to be uh, something that that became um, an issue um, that was publicly aired following the settlement of a case that was brought um, That's right. brought in, in the Flemington area mm. um, in 2009. So this was something that people did feel really strongly about, um, mm. that, uh, that it was, you know, both affecting them, uh, both directly and indirectly because of the way in which it was shaping public sentiment. 
Thank you, um, David. Once again, that was um, just so insightful and we so appreciate your time here at Communication Mixdown and helping our listeners get insight into what's been a wonderful research project with um, real real outcomes um, for us. So thanks so much for your time. Okay. That was University of Melbourne's Dr David Nolan. He was speaking to Communication Mixdown about the OSSUD research project. We're going to have some contacts and links for um, David and that project on our website. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. In this show, we're asking how well the media communicates across cultures and what happens when celebrating diversity can give way to stereotypes and prejudices. A woman who's been making sure that the voice of her Australian community and the songs of her Sudanese homeland are heard is on the phone with me now. I'm speaking with Ajak Kwai, the singer, the storyteller and also one of the journalists involved with the Gazelle online publication we've just been discussing with our first guest, David Nolan. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. We're talking about how the media um, has been portraying the Sudanese community and um, your involvement in the Osud project. So why don't we just start, um, Ajak, if you could give us some context about what it's been like for you as a Sudanese woman and the way the media has portrayed you. Uh, it, it, it did impact the community, not only me, but yes. it does in the community. And if you want to, it, it, you know, it demolish um moral, you know, you want to do good thing, and then you hear a lot of negative things, mm. and that is unproductive at all. So I think it, 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 it's, not a good, it's not a good thing to be able to demonize the whole community because it's just a young few people got into trouble. And, and it has been like that for a long time, as you know, when we do that project. And uh, so it unfortunately, that what happened, and I did talk to one of the uh, South Sudanese young men doing amazing thing in a community, and I said, he said, well, if because people say that every generation comes here and they get that, and then they, they you know, and then the next one will take the, the burden. Hmm. But actually, he said, this is what he said, he said, if it's like that all the time, why can't people do something about it so it will not happen to the next one? Yes, it's not really fair just that you shoulder the load and then the next next wave of um, refugees come along and, and they, they take the mantle. It's a dubious prize, isn't it? That's right. And if you could see all these people I was involved in, uh, and now at the moment I'm in Shepparton, I'm singing with the choir, which is uh, a Luthera uh, a church one, and I, I've been here now today, and... Um, and one of the people he did talk to me about, you know, he, some of the young people who got involved in that trouble, he went to, to, to the court to accompany them, pastor. And he said, you know, when you go through the footage, you know, the everyone is dark, it's a Sudanese, and which is really a, not a very, a very good thing, because just because they're black, it means that they're Sudanese. Mm. And actually, they're really criminal, like really behind those young people. The police know them, and they don't want to say it because, you know, what happened that those behind these young people, you know, send them to, to do a lot 
it do damage. Mm. There are big people behind them. They just not. They have no idea where the place is. Like a queue is. Like uh, you know, they have no idea all these places. Someone mm. is driving them. But is it fair that someone doesn't want to know where that those driving are? Yes. Yeah. Re- yeah. Mm. So you're saying that we really do need to. Um, yeah, well, it's actually time, isn't it, to, to do something, isn't it? And I know with the Osud project, that was really valuable um, in terms of abling to, you know, able to get those stories up on, online about the experience of some Sudanese um, people, men and women. Look, it, it's a shame we haven't run it proper and we, we're going to go back. Uh, uh, I, I really love to go back. It's a mm. good time now. And I'll write some stories. I did a lot of interviews with the young people to be able to to understand exactly what 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 impact this done to them. Yes. And and actually we went to the refugee conference in Sydney was running about two weeks ago and a young woman was speaking, she said, I would be really happy when I die here in Australia. She's what? about twenty year old. Yeah. She said you know, everywhere you go, you know, people look at you as a troublemaker. Even you just go around your own business because what the media is doing, where oh. the fear in people. And this is kind of a story that the young people, you know, are facing and an amount of you know, rejecting. And uh, the, the thing the young people deal with, it, it, it's not like, the, you know, it's it very, very real and it's yeah. really hard on them. Now, Ajak, unfortunately we are running out of time because we only get half an hour and um, we do want to play a beautiful song by you. But if you could give some advice or some encouragement to um, people like that, that young woman, what would it be? You know, you, you, uh, there are so many Australian people behind, behind us. It's not a better board you play that game. There are a lot of, you know, there is so more good people in Australia. And these people, they're the people we want them to support us. Mm-hmm. And not just, not just listen to the, the, you know, to the Channel 7 or Channel 9 at 6.30 with the current affairs. And, uh, and be able to go deep beyond that and be able to understand what the real issues are. Of course, there are some young people in, in, in get into trouble, as you see, because of the way they live. They are in a hot spot. Mm. They are the target of everybody, you know, and they are scapegoat because the people can make them do wrong things and, and actually police can trade on them and not the, the other people. So it's, a good, it's good that, you know, that we got behind. We got a lot of good people. And media, they just do their job. It's not their yes. fault. Yes. But we need to look beyond that. And, uh, and one thing I would tell young people, because I go to this meeting sometimes, is to say, be positive. There are good Australians yes. supported you. That's the people that you concentrate. Yes. And this is distracted you to be, not to be productive. Mm. So that's what I would tell them, you know, go, Thank go you, you know, be a good citizen and try to do your best. Oh, well, you couldn't get better advice than that. And with our 3CR wonderful listeners, you couldn't get more informed or more um, supportive than our gorgeous communication mixed down listeners. And Ajax, thank you for your time today and also to the magpie who was accompanying you for your interview. Um, 
Have a beautiful time singing and goodbye from us at Communication Mixdown. Thank you. Thank you again. That's it for Communication Mixdown this week. We're here next Thursday.